Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. We're doing something a little different today here on Money and Me, looking at the life story of an 83-year-old who, I have to say, this has to be the most fantastic book launch I've ever heard of. Um, he gifted $24 million in an endowment gift to the Singapore Institute of Technology. That's what happened when executive chairman of listed global property giant City Developments Limited, uh, together with CDL, uh, that's what happened on book launch around the book launch, I understand this fantastic donation, uh, meant to be a gift of future talent in the industry. He said writing this biography was one of the greatest feats of his career. In fact, more difficult than building any business. So what lessons on growing a huge empire and um, money can we get from reading this book? We're going to find out with the Singapore Literature Prize winner, best-selling author, Pei We, How are you? Wonderful, Michelle. Good morning, everyone. So, Kwekling Beng says this was more difficult than building any business. What did you put him through? I can see why he said that, you know. And it wasn't easy for me, too, just to be sure. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, before I began on this book project with him, I did not know the man. But after sitting um, interviews, sitting through a few interviews with him, then I realised that he's not much of a talker. You know, not really someone who enjoys being um, grilled by a panel of journalists or writers about his life, having to look back all the way back, you talk about 83 years, all the way back to his childhood, about what he's been through. Not something he's most comfortable with and I could detect that discomfort. And uh, so when he eventually said that this is most challenging for him, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> so how did this come about then? Because usually if you want a biography out there, you know this means a lot of talking. Uh, well, um, I'm not sure if that's what he thought it would entail. Perhaps he had this idea that I would just maybe do some research into his life and then talk to some other people Fair and enough. then presto, you know, a book will appear. <laughs> but when I told him that, hey, Mr. Craig, I'm going to need you to sit down with me over quite a few sessions and we're going to go in depth. Well, credit to the man. He may not be very comfortable with it, but still he went through with it. You yeah. know, um, I said that the book launched, uh, the book launched that you just referenced earlier, that um, only when interviewing him that I realised that one of his favourite sayings at work is, uh, work hard, talk less, do more. And man, the Really, he's not much to talk. He, he really d doesn't want to talk much, you know. Mm. So, um, a lot of emphasis on work. Um, but still, well done to the man. So, you were here, uh, my team tells me that you were here 20 minutes before this interview. I wonder if any of his traits have rubbed off on you. He's famous for his punctuality. And his father was famous for his punctuality. Apparently, if you arrive 10 minutes earlier than a meeting with Kwek Leng Beng's father, and if he happened to be there one minute before you, you were late. <laughs> Well, first, um, your people told you wrong. I was here 45 minutes early. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing definitely rubbed off on me from Mr. Quetling Bay and it is punctuality because before I began on this project, his son, Sherman Quack, gave me this wonderful advice. He said that if you're, even if you're early, but you're somehow later than the chairman, you're considered late. So make sure you're very, very early. And so I, most of our interviews with, with Mr. Quack began at about 4pm. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would usually be there by 3.30. So I made sure I was there by 3.15. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not kidding you. Of you course. Know? Yeah. So, which is why I'm I'm 45 minutes early for for this 10 o'clock slot. By 9:15, I was already at SPH lobby. For sure. uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm glad some things have rubbed off. I mean, it's a great thing to have, and also gives, shares a little bit of his attitude towards time. Right? Did he talk at all? And we know that his dad was famously punctual as well. Did he talk about his difficult relationship with his dad? Was that an area you could get into uh, quite easily? Yeah, that, that was really um, one of the big revelations of the book, you know, his relationship with his father. I think for my generation, I think we're more familiar with Kwek Ling Beng, less so with his father, Kwek Hong Peng, even though Kwek Hong Peng really was the one who built up Hong Leong and with that CDL. Um, but most of us don't quite know the man who passed away, if I'm not wrong, in 1994. Mm. So it's already been quite a number of years. Mm. But uh, Kwek Ling Beng himself is more than willing to share about his relationship with his father and not necessarily in the most positive way. Although I, I, I'm stressed here that today he looked back at his dad with lots of fondness and longing. But in his early years, um, the father really was a tough taskmaster. The patriarch, the taoke that we might imagine a traditional Chinese businessman to be really, really hard on this oldest boy, the man who's supposed to take over the business, uh, including things like uh, what time he should go to bed, um, how much alcohol he should consume, mm. even the way he crossed a check. Right, he had such exacting standards of how work should be done wow. and a young man just could not measure up. And so he told me that he ran away from home. To Penang? And, yeah, yeah. And he didn't run away from home like when he was 17 or 18. He ran away from home when he was 27. You know, he was already married but just the relentlessness of working with the father and he, he summed it up with like, it's just... Boom, 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 boom. You know, that's how he described it. It's just the father almost like hammering him every day. And, and he couldn't take it anymore. So one day after work, he came back, he told his wife, let's go. Let's pack, ran off to Penang. No idea what that was supposed to be. No idea whether he was going to stay there for long or come back. But thankfully, uh, persuaded by a family friend based in Penang to come back. And uh, subsequently, kind of bury the hatchet with the father a little bit and, and well, they go along I would like to think uh, much better after that Did Kwek Leng Beng come from wealth? Uh, yes, you, you could say that you know, not the kind of wealth we would associate um, the family today um, but his father definitely his father was was um, immigrant from China mm -hmm. came here with truly nothing uh, built up the company from nothing and so I think when Kwek Leng Beng was young uh, I, would, I dare say the family was comfortable perhaps maybe affluent but not the scale that we know today because certainly um, from the 80s, 90s onwards and especially after Mr. Quigley Ming himself took on the business, um, the, he brought it to a different level altogether. So when we look at the Forbes Riches list today and yes. we see the Quack family there, yes. uh, I don't think that was the level that he and the family was at, um, say, in the 40s and 50s. So you mentioned Hong Leong. So, Mr. Quack, if you're listening in, my car loan is with Hong Leong Group. If you could write it off, it would really make my day. <laughs> nice try, Michelle. Nice try. If yeah. you don't ask, you never get. Did you get a sense of how his early relationship with the family impacted his approach to business or wealth? Um, very much so. I think that he's so influenced by his father. I mean, he was brought up, he was taught the basics of the business by the father that I think it influenced how he looks at the business till today. So one very important lesson that the father drummed into him 
sales is the lifeblood of any business. Yeah. And he said that uh, when he first joined the family business, that wasn't what he had in mind. You know, he was trained as a lawyer from London. He was thinking, I'm going to put in place um, some good processes, admin finance stuff, because the father as a Chinese Tauke, probably a little bit more haphazard when it comes to the back end part of the business, you know. So Quack Ling Bing saw himself as someone who could improve the back end processes. The father said, hey, I'm not interested in all this, you know. Go out there, get business, because if you don't get the sales, what are you talking about? Who cares about your processes, you know? <laughs> you got to bring in the sales. And so when he put his son, Ling Bing, into the first part of the business, which is Hong Leong Finance that you just mentioned, Quack Ling Bing was really out there getting deals daily. He learned to pound the ground. He had to make sure that sales had to be done in the first place. Let's not talk about everything else. Forget about branding. Forget about marketing. Admin, finance. Mm. Sales, 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 sales. And today, when you talk to the man, yeah. that is still the main mantra that he's talking about when it comes to business. You know, when he's launching a new project, let's say um, the sale, right? The sale condominium that, that many of us are familiar with. He became the chief salesman of CDL. He was the one picking up the phone, calling up his contacts and saying, hey, this is a wonderful project. You have to buy and mind you, this is at a time when people were not queuing up for condos. In Marina Bay yeah. Sands. In Marina in Bay, area. right? Yeah. right. And so they, uh, we were going through some kind of property slum at that point. Uh, I can't remember the date, probably early 2000s, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, he was the one really, when you have lunch with people, buy a two-bedroom unit, get a three-bedroom, you won't regret it. He's actively selling. So he calls himself the chief salesman. I wonder how difficult it would be then because from what you mentioned, he didn't quite like talking about himself, but sales depends so much on putting yourself out there, having these non-stop conversations. Um, how do you reconcile the two? Him not quite being a talker, but being an excellent salesman. Yeah, and that's the amazing part about him. You know, I think that um, he is probably not someone in truth who likes to talk. But because of business, for work, because how he's being trained, mm. he's able to just switch it on and say, okay, now I'm going to put on that salesman hat and I'm going to sell the hell out of this. So and obviously, he's able to do it. Yeah. You know, whether you're talking about Hong Leong Finance at the early days, mm-hmm. um, CDL later, or much, much later, um, he's, he's building the entire hotel empire. I mean, he's the chief salesman, man. Was he also chief thinker? How did he shape Hong Leong? You were sharing with me that it was his idea that it focused on car loans? Yeah, I think that um, this man goes beyond, obviously sales is a big part of it, Mm. but he has strategic vision. The idea was that when he took over Hong Leong, how was a finance company going to compete with the banks? Not so easy. And he decided that one area that he could get into was uh, car loans. And in order to find out um, more about car loans, he would, I mean, he's a car lover. Okay, let's putting that aside. He would actually be pounding the ground, going to car dealers to find out from them, so which are the popular models? What are people buying? You know, what's coming into the market? So that he can take this back and shape the loans better to fit the customers. It is that kind of on-the-ground details. So there's, there's a story in the book about how he happened to be test-driving the latest uh, Porsche Cayenne when he first came out. And then um, the Hong Leong people just happened to be there to be pitching to, to the dealer um, that they were appoint uh, Hong Leong Finance. And Quick Ling Bing was there on the spot test-driving a car, mind you, but he said, actually, I'll just sit in on this meeting and, and, and join the pitch as well. <laughs> 
Yeah. And at the end of it, he told the boss, hey, give us the business. Lah. And of course, that guy did. <laughs> yeah. And I was told till today, that car dealer is still a customer of Hong Leong Finance. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great anecdote. He's a really hands-on businessman then. Very much so. That's you so know, he so. believes in mm. being on the ground. And so when he talk about his hotel empire, he's always visiting the hotels. Even in Singapore, he likes to take morning walks. And um, if his morning walks happen to be near his hotels, he's going to pop in, check out the morning's breakfast buffet spread and say, hey, this looks good, not so nice. How come not so many people here today? Wow. You know, maybe you should adjust the pricing. So that I've been told that the general managers of, of his hotels always on standby because they, <laughs> they know the big boss may just pop by any moment. <laughs> he's 84 and he's still cares so much about the business. I think it says a lot about the man. Uh, speaking of which, do, can you share with us the difference between Kwek Ling Beng, the individual, versus Kwek Ling Beng, the businessman? What were the similarities, differences in your opinion? I think that there are quite a bit of similarities. Kwek Ling Beng, the man, when you meet him, is uh, famous, or I should say infamous, for not making small talk at all. Meaning that when you sit down, there's no hello, how are you, what's the traffic light, what have you been up to? No. It's just you sit down and let's get to business right away. And I've been told that Kwek Ling Beng, the businessman, is similar, ah. right? So um, this was shared to me by, um, I think it was the GM of an intercontinental hotel not owned by him. Mm-mm. And he said that when Kwek Ling Beng stepped in into the lobby and he, he, he greeted him, Hi, good morning, Mr. Kwek. And straight away he asked him, How much do you spend building this hotel? What is, uh, what is your room rate now? What's the occupancy? And stuff like that. There's no such thing as small talk. And... I guess that part of him, whether you're talking about a person or the businessman, pretty consistent. Pretty unnerving, I imagine. Uh, it, it can be if you're not used to situation. it. You know, I think yeah. very often we we forget that um, how used we are. How we we are so comfortable with that little bit of small talk when you meet someone you're not familiar with to break the ice. Yeah, yeah. and when it's totally removed, then you go, "Oh my, okay, wow, <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit stuck." You know. Yeah. <laughs> See a snazzy dresser. I saw an interview and he was wearing purple, and I thought, you know, people think of him as low key. You don't know much about the man. And then here was this picture of him in purple. And I thought, wow, maybe he does have an expressive side to him. Oh, very, very snazzy guy. Very snazzy um, dresser. Good fashion sense. Put me to shame any day, (laughs) you know. And every time I was meeting him, I'll be looking at myself in the mirror and go, okay, perhaps I should do a little bit better, Michelle, you know. (laughs) But uh, yeah, definitely, you know, he he dresses smartly. and, And 83 this year, I think. And still... Quite stylo Milo, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah. do you think he? Um, do you think largely he before this book was still sort of an unknown in the Singapore scene? I mean, people know the name Quick Ling Bang, but don't know very much of the guy. Was that sort of um, intentional? Is he low key intentionally? Yeah. You know, out of the public spotlight, or what? Do you I, think? I'm not sure it is intentionally, but he's definitely low key. There's a famous story of how when. Um, he changed his he changed his car. He got a new car. He drove up to his hotel, Orchard Hotel, and the security guard there said, "No, no, no! You can't park here. Move away." Because they ah. recognize his car, but they actually don't recognize his face. <laughs> and this is his own hotel. You know, this is a famous story that goes around, right? And uh, you know, he owned quite a few buildings in the Shenton Way area. And in his younger days, he would just be hopping between meetings in these buildings, and no one would stop him. He he could just pretty much go about his life 
rather unmolested, you know, even till today he could go restaurants or, or anywhere else. And you re- and I asked him, do people stop you for an autograph or a photo? And he said, almost never. Mm. So I guess people people know of Hong Leong, obviously. Yeah. People are familiar with city development and, and their properties and their hotels, whatnot. But less so of the man, which I think that, that's what makes this book interesting, exciting, right? That you know of all these brands, but now let me tell you about the, about the man behind it yeah. and um, his motivations about his decisions that made all these brands possible. Yeah. So his dad was a second generation. Or his dad he, was first generation. First generation. Yeah, so he's, he's second, second generation. generation. And there's often this um, idea that the second generation can squander all the wealth that the first generation built. But he built on it. He came from wealth and then built on it. Yeah. Do you get a sense of what his approach to money is? Very quickly, I think it was fairly obvious to me that um, this man was not driven driven by money, but driven by challenges. So he inherited his father's business, which I think was in three major sectors, manufacturing, uh, finance, as well as real estate, obviously. And he could jolly well just have taken that on and go, I'm, this, this is more than enough, you know. Yeah. Let, me, let me just do well in this. But instead, almost immediately, he said, that I'm going to bring this into the fourth space, which is hospitality and hotels. And at that point, they own a few hotels, not that many. And he grew this to, what, 150 over hotels today around the world, five continents. That's just amazing, you know. And I think that, I don't think that it is just about wealth that motivates him, but really a desire to do something, to leave a mark. And I think being a disciple of his dad, very much so that he wants to show that, hey, uh, not only did I do a good job holding on to it, I built on it, I expanded on it. Journalist Mei Xinghui and author of the new biography, Strictly Business, The Kwek Leng Beng Story, joining me live in the studio. Um, how open was he to talking about business failings? Well, I think you can imagine that uh, as is the case for every one of us, we prefer to talk about successes rather than our failures. But uh, I think I, I made it very clear right from the get-go that uh, this is not going to be a project where where we paint you as like a superhero and you did not make a certain, any mistake at all. There were no failures. I mean, that's impossible, right? In business as in life, surely there's, there are going to be some screw-ups here and there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that he's quite open to that and he's more than willing to share about the mistakes that he made and the lessons that he learned. Were there any no-go yeah. zones for you for this book? Uh, no, no. I think that when it comes to business and everything, it was pretty much all the way. I mean, the most recent case was um, um, the failure in a way in Sincere where lots of money was lost. And I mean, this is very, very well publicized as it is. So we went very in-depth into that and I was determined to find out more beyond what has really been covered by the media on this incident because um, share prices dropped, market talked a lot about this at that point. I'm glad to say that he was forthcoming. Fantastic. The sales, South Beach, Marina Bay Sands, iconic developments, few people know the link to Quick Leng Bang. Can you join the dots for us? Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about MBS, maybe. I think that is, um, even I did not know about that when I began on this project, that when we look at MBS, we just think of Sense, but actually, uh, initially, this project was a joint venture between Sense and CDL. Um, but before the bid could be submitted to the government, uh, CDL had to pull out. And um, even though CDL pulled out, Quick Ling Bing remained as an advisor to this project mm. and was intimately involved in the architecture itself. You know, he is the person why we see this sky, what do we call it, sky, sky roof or sky pool? I don't know, I cannot remember. The, the ship that we have Infinity on top pool. of. Uh, <laughs> Infinity pool, right? I, I don't know why it's called now, it eludes me. But he is a big reason why we have that design, you know, because he had the design sensibilities. And if you bring this to these other projects that you talk about, whether it's South Beach, whether it's the sail, 
I mean, they are beautiful, beautiful buildings, you know. And he liked to say that when he's, bu- when, when, when he's building something, he doesn't li- like it to be rectangular and just a square block. You know, he wants it to be a little bit unique, something special. Mm. Look at South Beach, you know, from afar. Take a look at it. It's beautiful. It's, it's something different, you know. I'm no architecture expert here. But looking at the sales, South Beach, MBS, the man had an, he has an eye for design. Interesting. Yeah. Man of many talents. Lawyer, uh business conglomerate um, and as you know he's got a sense of aesthetic as well really interesting anecdotes we're hearing what is his approach to innovation i think that he always wants to try new things whether it's a new territory whether it's a new venture or anything like that he's always eager to try new things right um so i was curious because uh, i read early reports that he not much of a computer person so i recall one interview that i did with him i was sitting in his office and i turned to him and said mr quack actually do you do you use computer? Do you, do you use the email? And he turned around, he pointed at his desktop, he said, hey, what's that? You know, yeah. So he replies to his own emails and stuff like that. I wouldn't say he's at the cutting edge of technology by any stretch of imagination. But certainly someone who is very, very keen to try new things, you know. We talked about cars earlier. I mean, he's fascinated by Tesla. He's fascinated by EV, you know. That, that formed part of our conversation when we were talking about his, his, his passion for, for automobiles, you know. Mm-hmm. So I get the sense that despite being 83, uh, he's a guy who always wants to experiment and, and see new things and try new things. What were important challenges in his journey and how did he overcome them? Well, somehow I think a lot of it goes back to his father. You know, the lessons that he has distilled from his dad, you know, the fortitude. I think he always say that if you get the basics right in a business, no fear, you'll be okay. So among them, for instance, the emphasis on quality. So he said, the father said from day one, you know, when we're building all these condominiums for people, let's not stint on quality. Let's make sure we use proper flooring proper this, proper that. And back in the day, we're talking about the 70s where I think a lot of developers in Singapore were still not of that kind of, shall we say, enlightened mindset yet. But already, the interest that in quality, that came through very strongly. And you can see that in his hotels today, you know. And I think that if you get the fundamentals right, he's going to be okay. The other thing is cash flow. He's obsessed. You know, his father said, better make sure your cash flow is okay in business because if, if not, you could go belly up very quickly. Mm-hmm. So while he is um, adventurous, eager to go to new things, many of his top executives will tell you that Kwek Ling Bing is conservative no matter what. He makes sure that his cash flow is solid. Okay. Um, it took you a year to write this book. Now that you're done with it and you look back, was it the hardest book you've ever written in your life? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think the sheer intensity of it, you know, because when I met Quang uh, Bing for the first time and he asked me so how long are you going to take to write this book and I said one year and I thought that, that was very fast but yeah. he said oh my god he said oh that's so slow <laughs> you know because <laughs> he, the, the demand for speed from the man was so intense right mm. and so uh, I made a promise that I'm going to finish it in a year so I had to keep to it and um, so yeah lots and lots of pressure but I'm glad to say I made it I'm yeah. so glad you got to the end of the line because you've given the world this great insight into this man Quang Bing the book is called Strictly Business Beijing We Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Michelle. You're listening to Money FM, where time is indeed money. It's time for the news. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.